continuing our studies here tonight in the book of Genesis, chapter number 45. Genesis chapter number 45. I had something occur as I was studying and getting ready for this message here tonight. I know I must be on the right track because multiple commentaries had already pilfered my notes. That'll make sense. <laughs> That'll make sense as we go on into this message, but... Uh, uh, as uh, as all those other commentators had stolen from me, that I didn't even know I was going to write it yet. <laughs> uh, this passage, this chapter in the book of Genesis, lends itself to what I'm going to share with you tonight uh, in a very expositional way. Now, there's a story in the backdrop, and we've been tracing the story of Joseph. And as we left off last time, I almost regretted, almost regretted having to leave you where we did with Judah pouring out his heart because the very next words as 40, chapter 45 opens uh, kind of helps us feel how maybe some of you have felt all week long. Uh, I can't wait until we get back to get into chapter 45 because chapter 44 closed uh, so abruptly with Judah's testimony before Joseph and now Joseph cannot contain himself any longer. There's so many practical things that we can learn and glean from the life of Joseph and uh, how he responds to the situation, the plight of his father and family in this passage, uh, all the way down to even practical things in our life, such as when is it the right time for adult children to begin to make decisions on behalf of their parents? as they reach the older years, and even little things like that that we can glean, and we'll take note of how Joseph uh, does that here in this passage, and winds up moving his entire family down to Egypt. I mean, as you look at the practicality of Genesis chapter 45, you find out why my wife and I live so far away from family. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> As I was studying for this, you know, I kind of jokingly thought to myself, well, if my family ever, if all my family, you know, I'm talking about the Beverly Hillbillies moving to Denver here, uh, if all my family from the backwoods of Georgia ever moved to Denver, I think I'd find a different calling real quick in another place. You know what I mean? Far, far away. No, just, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, okay? Uh, one of the things that God did for our family, my wife and I and our children, is did remove us from our family, our immediate family, hers and mine alike. And so that really uh, forced us as a young family to develop our own family unit here in Colorado and in Pensacola where we began our family together. But um, as Joseph has been removed from his family for 22 years now, guess what? They're all moving down to Goshen together. And so uh, what are some of the interpersonal problems that, uh, that can come up? I don't know. The Bible doesn't really talk about many of those. There's 400 years of tribulation for Israel, okay? 400 years of, of testing, 400 years of them going through the furnace of Egypt together and the persecution that they, that they eventually faced there because that is where God would take this people, uh, all that Jacob would take with him, uh, some 70 souls or so, and then when God would bring them out of Egypt, they would no longer be a Bedouin nomad people. I don't know if they had never gone down to Egypt according to God's providence and plan. I wonder if uh, what we know of as the Israelites would still be like those Bedouin, uh, Bedouin shepherds that you see over in Israel today. 
we saw their black covered tents, and that's that's a special kind of tent, by the way. And large tents, Bedouins are still there in that desert region. I wonder if we would have never had uh, the nation of Israel had they not gone through the fires of Egypt and all that they did for God to make a mighty nation of them. You're in Genesis chapter 45. Uh, There are 28 verses here I'd like to study with you tonight uh, with the time we have. I want to draw your attention really down to verse 24 because I think this will give us a good place to hang our mind on what surrounds this verse. And the reason I choose this verse is because of the phrase at the end of it that I want to leave you with. It's kind of an encouragement for me and an encouragement for you as we consider the expository thoughts that are here. We hear Joseph's words to his brothers. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do just that. May we see in Joseph our Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And thank you for the truth that is here in these verses. And God, may it encourage us to know what we have through the forgiveness of our Savior. To know that not only have we been forgiven and our sins are washed away under the blood, but you have reconciled us to yourself, Lord. We are no longer at enmity with you. And God, you've also given us a great commission to go forth and share the good news that Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith and not by sight and help us to make the applications necessary through this study tonight to help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, this really doesn't meet the level of what Genesis 45 is going to emotionally drive us to if we're connected empathically to Joseph here. But I do believe it will give us a little glimpse into maybe how they might feel. Okay, I don't know about you, but when I go to the airports and things, I... I'll be sitting there maybe doing some work, and I usually try to bring work with me to the airport because you never know what will happen in an airport. I thought I was going to be there for an hour and two and wind up be there half a day or a day or overnight or something like that. So I always have work with me to work on. And as I'm sitting there in the concourse, uh, you know, inevitably a plane will pull into the jetway, and then uh, then it won't be long before people are filing out of that plane, and, and they're coming out, and they're, they just, I don't know, I'm... I probably shouldn't stare, but I like to watch people as they're coming off the plane. I don't know them from Adam. I've never met them before, but it's just interesting to see how, how you know, maybe uh, somebody's actually gotten to the place where they can make it through security, and you know how you can only go so far in the airport, and, and uh, it used to be different before 9-11. You could actually meet people at their gates most of the time. And so just think about somebody coming off the plane, maybe, you know, you've got people out there holding the signs with the family name on them. And uh, they've got their rides all arranged. Well, think about maybe somebody that's coming off the plane looking for family they haven't seen in a decade or so. And, and uh, think about a reunion that would be as they first get sight of each other and the recognition takes place and the change of the years. You know, maybe they haven't aged at all. Maybe they've aged quite a bit. Maybe they look like like me, you know, over 40 now. It's, uh, maybe, But just that connection, just that connection, being able to see them make eyesight. Is that them? No, that's not them. Now, it's been 22 years 
And for all these brothers know, and for what Jacob knows for sure, Joseph is as good as dead. They thought they'd never see him again, let alone that he would be in such a position of power and influence. There's no other kingdom, there's no other empire in the world at this day and time that even compares to the nation of Egypt, especially uh, since the famine has struck now. And so think about as, as Jacob is getting ready to be reunited here with Joseph after 22 years. How would you feel if someone brought a message to you that the son you thought was dead for 22 years is alive? I think you would be as, as stunned as Jacob was. But get this picture if you would. You know, this is a Bedouin people. Jacob is, has lived his life and, and he's, just a, he's just a sheep farmer and just of humble background, and, and how many years of his life has he worked, and all he's known are the fields and the, and the tools of his trade, and, and that of raising sheep and tending to them. And Joseph is going to send for him. Now I'm getting a little ahead of the story, but I want you to know where we're going. Joseph is going to send for him, and once he realizes that the message is true, that Joseph is alive, he's going to pack his family up, he's going to make a stop in Beersheba on the way back to Egypt, just one more time to make sure, am I really doing what God wants me to do? And God's going to show up to him yet again there at Beersheba. Beersheba is the place where his daddy dug a well. And his granddaddy dug a well. Beersheba would be the place of an altar, where Isaac would make an altar, and where Abraham would have an altar. And so he stops at this place, and God shows up in a vision one more time for Jacob and says, you're going down to Egypt because it's part of my plan. Don't hesitate to go down and take your family with you. And so that's just confirming that what Joseph is observing from Egypt land about the providence of God, Jacob receives that message from Jehovah himself, and he knows. Now you have this Bedouin farmer from the backwoods of Canaan <laughs> coming down to the metropolis of Egypt. In this day and time, you look, at the, you look at the lay of the land, I don't think there was a grander place on earth. Have we built any structures that even compare to the great pyramids of Giza? Even today, we marvel. And I've never been there. Maybe we'll get to take a trip there someday. But they've got a magnificent museum I hear of in Cairo. And maybe some of you have visited there. I don't know. But I have read, and I used to be enthralled with the stories of King Tut. And when they found his tomb, he was only 17 years old. And yet all the splendor that, that that Egyptian ruler was buried with. And so here you have this Pharaoh with Joseph at his side. And he's sitting on gold and everything he touches is of gold. And, and, and you have the beauty of the Memphis area there. And the whole capital region of Egypt of his day. And it is a metropolis. It is booming and it is bustling. And then you have this backwoods sheep farmer coming in and Joseph will bring his dad in and set him before Pharaoh. And as the Bible says, the less is blessed of the greater. I think that's accurate to say. And so Joseph is being used by God to fulfill a greater plan that will span even beyond Joseph's life. And Jacob's faith and Joseph's faith are simply summarized in this. I could be buried here in the splendors of Egypt. I could be buried in, in a tomb like Tutankhamun. I could be buried with all of this treasure and all of this earthly wealth. But Jacob, make sure that Joseph promises him 
Don't bury me here with the kings of Egypt. I've got a tomb. I've got a place with the sons of Heth where my granddaddy lays and where my family is. Bury me there because that's the land of promise. That's the land of the covenant that God made with our people. And so here he is. You know, Jacob could have just been left in the sidelines and and in kind of in the shadows as Joseph, the prime minister of Egypt, you know, coming forward. and, And he's before Pharaoh, but Joseph didn't do that. I think it's interesting how Joseph honored his dad and was, and was in a sense, proud of his dad and brought him before Pharaoh. And when Jacob was maybe even too old to get around to, on his own too well, he did pretty well to get from Canaan to Egypt, though. I will say that. If I'm doing half as good as he is when I'm half his age, I'll be very grateful for that. But Jacob here, he is set before Pharaoh. And Joseph, Joseph is going to introduce him to the king of the world at that time, the king of Egypt. He's going to have Pharaoh's blessing. Now, how do we get there? How do we get to the the place of promise realized? How do we get to the place where faith becomes sight? How do we lay hold on that? How do we make that journey from Canaan to the fulfillment of the word of God and all his promises, all his prophecies? How do we see that fulfilled? Well, we back up here to Genesis chapter number 45, and we think about this reunion that's going to take place. And again, as uh, all these commentaries have pilfered my notes, they can take this outline and do whatever they want to with it later on. I've kind of uh, adapted some of theirs and, and stood on their shoulders after I kind of wrapped my mind around what I thought was happening here, and it just confirmed I feel like we're on the right track here tonight, so I stand in good company, I suppose. And so uh, if you hear a word that's in somebody else's outline, they took it from me, amen? So compassion is the first thing I would point out to you here. One commentator said that uh, the righteous can discern that God works even though the evil plans, even through the evil plans of humans. Now this is setting us up for the theme that we're going to encounter in Genesis chapter 50. I believe Moses is building us up to that, to think that, you know, the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament right here before us, this is the beginning of our, of our thoughts leaning that direction because Joseph reassures his brothers here in this passage. The righteous can discern. Can you discern that God works even through the evil plans of humans? How evil is this world? How evil are those around us? And how bent towards wickedness can people be? Oh, but let me tell you, I believe God can work all things together for good to them that love Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And this is just a way to summarize what God's doing in Egypt. Notice first off with me tonight, we see in this passage an aspect of compassion. And this compassion is a revelation of the Lord's forgiveness. Compassion is being a revelation of the Lord's forgiveness. Now, forgive me if you feel like I'm taking a little too much liberty with the text. I'm using this outline to help us think about Christ. Joseph is not the capital L, Lord, but even in our passage, he is described as the Lord of the land, lowercase l. And so let's look through Joseph and see if we can't get our eyes on Jesus tonight and see the parallels and see how Joseph can point us to Jesus and not leave this back in the Egypt land of thousands of years ago. Let's see how God has used this uh, to, to work today to show us the same truth. Compassion. Was it compassion that allowed God to reveal Himself to us? To show us that we have been forgiven as well? 
Absolutely. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, he looked on his people and he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. He was moved with compassion. It was compassion, compassion, to, to be passionate together with. His heart burned for us, yearned for, for those that were lost. And he said his whole mission was to come and seek and save that which was lost. And so through Joseph, I do see Jesus. And that there's a sense of compassion here as he begins to reveal himself to his brothers, the revelation of the Lord's forgiveness. In Genesis 45, it's Joseph's forgiveness. But in our day and time, we tell people about the Lord's forgiveness so that they can be right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so notice, first off, the identity is confirmed as we see this compassion unfold. The identity of Joseph is confirmed, and then the providence of God is affirmed. And so the identity being confirmed, look at verse number 1, if you would. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. Now, I don't know how, how, uh, how he would have said that, what his tone of voice would have been. But you guarantee everybody in that room knew, we better get out of here because there's something that's, that's happening. And so Joseph dismisses everyone around him. Clear the room, except for the brothers. Now, why would he do that? I think it's to protect them more than to protect him. Because here, he's been working graciously with them. We've talked about him testing them to see if there was any repentance genuine in their heart that could be noticed that there was a difference. They were sorry for their sins before. Are they going to treat Benjamin the same way? By the way, there's another instance in this chapter where Benjamin's going to get five times as many as what his brothers will get. And so it's just another confirmation that... Their heart truly is different now as Joseph uh, blesses Benjamin above all the others. Now instead of five messes, yeah, we'll bring, bring that back up too. Instead of five messes, he gets five, five sets of clothes. Okay? He gets a whole new brand new wardrobe for the week. Okay, uh, And they only get you know a day worth of clothing. And Joseph just blesses Benjamin as they are reunited. And so he, he cries, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him. While Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. Now, uh, I've seen some documentaries and things of, of uh, Jewish people uh, weeping over the state of Jerusalem. And, and maybe we think of how the Western Wall was once known as the Wailing Wall before Israel was back into the land. Uh, think about an Oriental custom and an Oriental people and how emotionally uh, outward they are. You know, here I'm an introvert, so I try to keep things to myself most of the time. And I'm not very vocal, except for when I'm preaching. <laughs> okay, uh, but I am an introvert. I really am. I grew up an introvert, and I'm the most socially backwards person you could probably ever meet. I don't know why God would ever call me to speak publicly. It's crazy, I know, but I promised that I would do it if He would do it through me. And so He has, and I thank Him for that grace that He gives, because I don't even know why anybody ever listens to me. Amen. Don't say amen to that. All right. Amen. You'll get that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as Joseph is here, think about, think about the Oriental people that are so emotional. Whether it's anger, I mean, if you cross, if you cross them, you're going to know it because there's fire coming out of their eyes. And they're just very exorbitant with their emotional display. 
love, you know, they go over and above and beyond and, and sometimes maybe get in our space a little bit as Americans. You know, we like to have our space. And so if we go to Israel, maybe we feel like uh, they're kind of in our, in our area. Well, they're very outgoing. And so think about this as Joseph just can't refrain himself anymore and how loud this would have been in order for all of, all of Pharaoh's people to hear him. He's already gotten everybody out of there and it's so loud his weeping, and he's crying with his brethren. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. I mean, it's all the way at the other end of the courtyard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, now notice in your text, the word am is supplied for smoothness of translation. There's no, there's no verb here, which also shows us it's emphatic. Uh, this is a way that Joseph is just, he just can't refrain himself. He says, I, Joseph... And we as English speakers put am in to smooth it out. So he says, I am Joseph. Can you imagine? The face. The look. As Reuben is picking his jaw up off the floor. And Simeon's knees begin to knock. And Levi's, okay, you you get it just down the list. You know, you get by the time you get to Benjamin, he's sweating bullets. Maybe not as bad as the other ones. I think Simeon might be sweating bullets more than any of them. But I don't know, how can he spend all that time, a couple of years now with Joseph, and still not know who he was? It was unknown. And everything begins to come back, and they are speechless. Literally, I mean, that's, that's what the verse says here. They, they don't even know what to say. They are dumbfounded with terror. This isn't a, a happy reunion. It's like an, uh-oh, now we've really done Remember, they've been... Pointing this out, it was Reuben that was the one who initially started saying, I told you guys so. I told you so. We shouldn't have done that to Joseph. And then Judah steps up and, and he says, the Lord's found out our sin and God has done this. And, and now Joseph says, I am Joseph. We're getting pretty close to Halloween here at the end of this month. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you can uh, imagine some of the terror that might be on someone's face as they walk up to someone's door and get everything scared out of them because they're just trying to ring the doorbell. And lo and behold, there's something in the bushes. Here comes Joseph out of nowhere, and they are terrified. He says, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? Notice how he's not even thinking about himself. Immediately he's asking about his father. Does he know that Jacob is still alive by this point? Has he already asked them and confirmed that before? Yes. So he knows, but he does want to confirm it here with them. I don't think he's asking for his own benefit as much as what he's trying to do to help them realize that he's not angry at them. How's dad? It's me. How's dad? Immediately changing uh, changing their thoughts from who he is and if he's trying to get back at them and Oh no, you know, now we know he's been toying with us all along with this whole sack game that he's been playing, you know, hiding stuff in our bags, and he just wants to make us slaves to Pharaoh for the rest of our lives. We're never going to see Dad again. He's just stopping all those thoughts right there when he says, How's Dad? Is Dad alive? Doth my father yet live? The first time that you'll find Joseph using that phrase, My father. You don't see it throughout the whole account until, once he's down into Egypt, until he gets out of prison and he's under Pharaoh and the Lord blesses him with two children, Ephraim 
and Manasseh. And for one of those children's names, he says, because God hath made me forget all my toil and my father's house. And so here Joseph asks, how's my father? Doth, he, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. Maybe they're trying and nothing's coming out of their mouth. Okay, that's my best acting. That's terrible. Notice they were troubled at his presence. Troubled on the inside. Terrified. What's going to happen here? Our sin has finally found us out. We are done for. Joseph is weeping over his brethren. This is the third of five times that you'll see him weeping over his brothers. Chapter 42 in verse number 24 we saw it. Chapter 43 in verse number 30 we saw it. Here in verse number 14 and verse number, uh, and then chapter 50 and verse number 17. And you can also compare chapter 50 and verse number 1. Joseph weeping for his brothers and weeping over his brethren. His identity has been confirmed. It's actually him. Oh no, we're in for it. Now, Joseph moves right into this next thought that I gave you in that he, can, he affirms God's providence. So we see not only his identity confirmed, but providence affirmed. Verse number four, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. Uh, I don't know if I want to or not. Yeah, come near. There's an invitation. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. He hasn't forgotten, by the way. What did he tell them? Whom ye sold into Egypt. I remember. Yeah, I'm not going to let you forget. But, I'm not angry. And the forgiveness, I mean, he forgave them before they ever even came to Egypt. But he also remembered. And so we say, forgive and forget. And that's a great phrase. I'm not combating that, we should forget, and if we understand what we mean by that, then I'll go with you on that, but can you really forget? Sometimes that's impossible to do. Think about God, He's omniscient. Can He really forget anything? No, so the Scriptures use specific words on purpose, and that God doesn't forget, He chooses not to remember. He remembers no more, and so while we might not be able to forget, we can choose not to remember. That is, we can choose not to bring that up again. We can bury that, just like God does our sins. As far as the east is from the west, there's no east pole, there's no west pole. West is always west, infinitely. East is always east, infinitely. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He'll never bring them up. It doesn't mean he doesn't know they didn't happen. It means he'll never use them against us. Because he put that on Jesus Christ. And by faith... We have forgiveness through His blood. And all those ordinances, the writings that were against us, are, are washed. And we can stand before Him clean and righteous. And so Joseph is already forgiven, but he has not forgotten. And he also assures them, Now therefore, be not grieved. You don't have to be hurt by this. You're going to be okay. I don't have it in for you. He says, don't be hurt. Don't be grieved. Don't let this upset you. Neither be angry with yourselves. Don't kick yourselves like, oh, 
it's time to move on. The past is the past. And he says, Ye sold me hither. Don't be angry that you did that. And he explains to them, For God did send me before you to preserve life. Now see, I don't even have to alliterate this part of the message, do I? That's easy to remember. You sold, God sent. You sold me, God sent me. See the perspective that Joseph has? He's a wise man. And he can see how God can use the evil plans of others to work things out for good. And so Joseph's had a lot of growing to do. For these two years, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. That's a different word, by the way, about preserving a posterity later on. Preserving life. For these two years, hath the famine been in the land, yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. That's not earrings like you put in your ears, ladies. That's earring as in we're, we're earring, we're, uh, we're cutting the straw. There's not going to be any of that, he says, for five more years. Now, this, is, this is amazing to think. You sold me. God sent me. This is one of the classic statements of providential control, providential moving. And so, as we think about these lines, one writer said it like this. He said, these lines are magisterial, theological declaration of divine providence. Now, what we don't mean by that is that Joseph is sitting his brothers down giving them a theological dissertation and discourse. But he's revealing his theology, isn't he? He's showing what he believes about God. And so, Jesus accepted his betrayal as the cup that he had asked, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thine will. Let that be done. He accepted that cup from his Father because he knew there was a joy that was set before him for enduring the cross and despising the shame. He put it in the scales and he weighed the shame and he said the shame, it, it, doesn't, even, it doesn't even compare with the joy that I'm going to get. The shame it's non-existent almost. And he was able to endure the cross. Donald Gray Barnhouse used to be on the radio and, and uh, he said, he summarized it this way, the jealous hatred of brethren, the dreams of a youth, the passage of a caravan, caravan bound for Egypt, the preparation of Joseph by a life of adversity, the anger of Pharaoh and the imprisonment of two officials. The strange dreams of these prisoners and Joseph's supernatural gift of interpretation. The dreams of Pharaoh. The change of rainfall in a fourth of Africa to bring about the two cycles of abundance and famine by the flood and failure of the Nile. The elevation of Joseph to the throne of Egypt. All of these things were brought about naturally by the supernatural work of God who is Lord of all, in order to fulfill the counsel of His will. Amazing how He put that. The natural occurrences being used supernaturally by God to bring them to this point. The book of Proverbs tells us, in a roundabout way, that our heart makes plans, but the Lord is the one who establishes our steps. We might devise a way, but... The steps of a good man, the book of Psalms says, are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. 
And so our steps are from the Lord. And uh, how can we understand our way? That's a question by the, by the book of Proverbs. And so everything happened according to God's mercy and according to God's grace. And we see first off there's compassion. And then as Joseph gives a revelation of himself, his identity is confirmed. And he also affirms the very providential hand and moving of God. Revelation. God revealed himself to us. And the book of Romans Romans 5.8 tells us this, but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that Christ would come and do that for us is a revelation of the compassion of our Savior. And that we don't have to worry about the sins we've committed against Him and against ourselves and against the world and others around us. See, life is about relationships. In fact, the first two commandments deal with that aspect. First, a relationship with God and then our relationship with others. And our relationship with God is only made close and repaired by what Jesus Christ did for us. We are reconciled through the forgiveness we have in His shed blood. Now, as we transition and move into this next thought, I want to show you how the brothers have moved from this revelation of of, uh, compassion, this revelation of forgiveness now. They've been forgiven. They're looking at, at the future, and they're there to get help for their family. And Joseph then gives them a commission. So we move from compassion to a commission and they are to bear the responsibility of the king's message. And again, I'm kind of using a play on words there. Bearing the responsibility of the king's message. Commission. Have we been commissioned with the king's message? Now, Joseph isn't the king, I understand that, but the Pharaoh is. And Pharaoh's going to give them a message too. And he's going to command them to go back home and get their dad and bring the whole family back to Goshen and they can enjoy the best, the cream of the crop of the Memphis area, They can have the land of Goshen to themselves, and they'll have the very best of the land. But that was the king's command. That's a good command, right? (laughs) Go and get them and come back, and, and, and we'll take care of you, and you'll have the very best that we can provide. But it is a command. The very word command is used. And so the commission that was given is they have to bear this message. There's an invitation for salvation here. If Jacob doesn't bring his family down... They will wind up, according to Joseph's words, in poverty. And that's not what God wants for the promised people. No, He promised that He would multiply them as the stars of heaven, as the sands of the sea. That He would would bless them abundantly. That they would never lack. And that they would explode in a population explosion one day. How can that happen if they're living in poverty on the backside of the, the, the arid area of Canaan when there's nothing there and they've used all their resources and they just stay Bedouin nomads. There's an invitation for salvation. Joseph says in verse number 9, Haste ye, go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph. You can see him writing down as fast as he can. What do we have to tell him? Okay, so take notes here. God hath made me, lowercase, Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine. That's a long time, by the way. 
lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. He says, this is me. Benjamin is looking at me too. Take this message back to Dad. It's really me. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that you have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. Goshen. The name means unsettled. And so far in Egypt, it remains. uh, But chapter 47, verse number 11, kind of helps us get a clue as to where this is in the lay of the land of Egypt. If you turn over there, you'll read that it's the land of the Ramses. We mentioned King Tut earlier, uh, the Ramses dynasty, the Hyksos kings of Egypt. Uh, This is a very fertile area. This would be a place where... Jacob can bring all of his flocks down, and they'll have plenty of pasturage. In fact, they're going to fare so well down there. They're going to grow. They're going to grow so much in Egypt that the land's not going to be able to hold them all. And Pharaoh, eventually, when there arises a Pharaoh that knows not Joseph, Pharaoh's going to be concerned because they're multiplying so quickly. The land of Goshen is going to be very good to them, and this is also part of God's providence. So. You have the timeline of the Hyksos kings that we can date you know, throughout history. And we can see there's about 400 years between, between this time of, of the pharaohs and the land of Goshen there and then the Hyksos uh, coming. And so it puts us on the timeline of Joseph and Moses respectively. And we can document that historically. And it just confirms the Bible, doesn't it? It doesn't prove the Bible, but it just speaks to the validity and the accuracy of of the historical record of Scripture. And so we go to the Bible, and archaeology just helps us bring all of that into a better understanding. And so this reconciliation between the brothers, though, was only possible through Joseph's suffering and through everything that he went through there. Let's not, let's not forget about that. And he mentions, tell Dad about my glory. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ and that His hour came when He resurrected from the dead. And think about the splendor and the joy and the glory that He has now. And one day, all of the glory that will be ours with Him as we inherit uh, the things that we will through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, one of the commentators pointed out as well in Stephen's message, I thought it was an interesting point, when Stephen was preaching before he was martyred for his preaching and his faith, he pointed out to those religious leaders that a similar thing happened to Moses. The first time that Moses came and tried to deliver the people of of Israel, his people, they rejected him. And they said, what, will you kill us like you did the Egyptian and hide him in the sand? Moses fled. But Moses came back. And when Moses returned the second time, they did receive him. Now, I'm a dispensationalist. I believe that God's not through with Israel. That one day, Israel will receive their Messiah when He comes again. Just like Moses was rejected the first time, Stephen pointed out to those religious leaders, so was Christ rejected the first time that He came. And this was all done by the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God that Jesus Christ did this. And He is that prophet that Moses prophesied would come. And He's coming again. And when He returns, His people will turn to Him and they will receive Him just as they received Moses. In that first exodus, they will receive their Savior, and He will deliver them from the evil of the Antichrist and and Satan's clutches. And so this is a picture through Joseph and through their time in Egypt and 
God delivering them. It's all a picture of what Jesus is going to do when He comes that second time. And um, the Bible says, they that, that look upon Him, they that pierced Him, will look upon Him and they will wail and they will mourn because they'll realize what, what they did to Jesus. Verse 16 to 24 we ought to be encouraged by what the brothers do here to take the good news out to our day. And so as we see, the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are coming. Please Pharaoh well. And his servants and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beasts, and go. Get you unto the land of Canaan. Go. So there they have the commission. Do you see it? Now they have the news. They have some great news to go tell dad. And to go tell those that are on the brink of death and destruction, they're in Canaan, and they get to take this news back to them to say, come and heed the invitation and live. Now that preaches itself, doesn't it? This is a really easy message to preach the gospel. Take the good news. The brethren are going to take that back. And they are going to be ambassadors of the king's message. And um, Joseph reminds them, see that you don't fall out by the way. Now, I also want to point this out because this was interesting to me. It says that after he fell on their necks and wept with them, he wept with Benjamin, and then right down the line, I mean, there's, there's 11 of these brothers to go through, and that's a lot of weeping and a lot of hugging, and a lot of weeping and a lot of hugging, and a lot of weeping, you get it. And after all of that, it just, this phrase grabbed me, and I had to stop and read it about two or three times and say, wow, okay, it just says, and Joseph talked with his brethren. And Joseph talked with his brethren. What? Oh, let's go back to Dothan. Oh, behold, that dreamer coming. There was a time when these brothers didn't even want to speak to Joseph. Couldn't bear to even converse with him. But now it's just a little simple phrase. Joseph talked with his brethren. You see, God can repair and restore, and he can mend the broken heart. And so Joseph is sending his brothers away with a message of hope, with a message of revival, with a message of life, that there's more, that there's a promise, but he tells them, see that you fall not out by the way. And I think many of us do that as we take the message of our king. We get busy in the way, and and so many things come into our mind and keep us from bearing the good news and sharing the good news because we fall out in the way. It was Tertullian that said, um, For Joseph also, when he sendeth away his brethren to bring their father to him, saith, and fall not out by the way. Verily he admonished us, for our religion is elsewhere called away. We are people of the way, the truth, and the life. And so let's see that we fall not out by the way, because if we will not be weary in well-doing, the promise of the Scriptures is we'll reap if we faint not, if we fall not out with this message, if we're faithful to deliver this message of hope, this good news message, then we'll see the same thing that the brothers realized as this passage comes to a close, and that is thirdly, confession. So you see, it's a real easy message to preach here tonight. We have the first part of it in compassion and the revelation of the Lord's forgiveness. We have a commission given. As these men bear the king's message and the responsibility to get that message of hope across and get that out to those who need it most, and then it leads to confession And there's a reception and revival from the word of faith. A reception and revival from the word of faith. As they come and bear the good news, 
Jacob responds like many atheists, like many agnostics today, it's too good to be true. No, you know, it's not that I don't believe that God's up there. I don't know who to trust. There's a lot of people that are very confused. And they're just as skeptical as Jacob is when he hears word from his son saying, Joseph is alive. Uh, You guys have lost your marbles. I don't believe you. And so as they begin to bring things forward to present to Jacob to say, no, dad, this really is true. Look over here. See this here. Consider this here. Joseph really is alive. It begins to sink into Jacob and he begins to believe the report and he moves from unbelief to belief. He moves to faith. Now he hasn't seen Joseph yet. He has to take their word for it and the things that they've brought. I mean, these guys are good enough deceivers. I mean, they they were the ones who brought a coat to him, dipped in blood and said, hey dad, figure this out. Right? Couldn't they do something similar and just because maybe they were afraid that they would crush his heart and he'd already threatened that he would go to the grave if something happened to Benjamin and they just want to try to give him a boost or whatever, conniving. And, and so they bring all this. That's a false promise. They wouldn't do that. But I'm just telling you, there's no reason why Jacob should trust them. There's no reason why he should believe them. Why should anybody listen to someone who's a sinner try to tell them that there's somebody who was never a sinner that took their sins? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As we bear the news, what is the news? Hey, all the stuff that they brought with them with the wagons full of all the stuff and all of the things they had, that's all great, that's all grand, but I'll tell you the thing that moved Jacob the most was the truth that Joseph lives. And the best news, the greatest news that we have to tell people is that Jesus Christ is not here. He is risen as He said. And the good news we bear is that He lives. That is the message of hope for today. That He has conquered death in the grave. That there is hope. There is a land where He will take us to be nourished, to, be, to have all of our needs met, and one day we'll be forever with the Lord. There's more beyond this. We don't have to die in the famine. We can make it through. And so we bear the good news. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan unto Jacob, verse 25, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Not only is he alive, he's the king. (laughs) And our Lord is alive, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And we rejoice in that. Notice what happened. Jacob heard the good news and passed out. His heart fainted. Okay, he didn't just pass out there. His heart failed him. Because he didn't believe. That's too good to be true. You Christians, you're telling me all about heaven and this mansion that's prepared and and the Bible and all of this and and that, you know, I can overcome death. and It's too good to be true. No, it's true. And if we'll believe it, then we'll have the same kind of hope that Jacob is revived with here. Notice... Not only the bearing of the good news, but the hearing by faith. The bearing of the good news is that he lives. The hearing by faith is that we can come to him for salvation. Joseph says, Dad, come on down here and you'll be saved. Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice the invitation. Come, you come, I give. That's how this whole thing works. Joseph tells his brothers, Tell my dad, you come, I give. Jesus today offers the same thing, and he offers it to anyone who will come. To him, to them that cometh to him, 
he will in no wise cast out. And so he offers. He says, you come, I give. That's how the Lord works. A royal invitation. And so verse 27, they told him all the words of Joseph. All the what? All the words of Joseph. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word. Which he said unto them, and when he saw the wagons, when you read the gospel accounts and you see the miracles that Christ did, and it's indisputable, he made the lame to walk, he opened the eyes of the blind, he did all these things as signs from God that he is God's son. When you see what he did through his apostles, it's undeniable. It's not just a bunch of stories that were written a long time ago. This was an eyewitness account that is fully verifiable, will stand up in any court of law, and will pass any test you put it to. And it will stand the test of time, because Jesus promised heaven and earth should pass, but my words shall not pass away. And so we can show the same kind of things, the same kind of evidences. And so, notice what happened. The spirit of Jacob their father revived. When people really get the good news, and they realize Jesus Christ lives, they can be born again, and they can see the kingdom of God because there's repentance and faith that work together to bring people to life. And so this royal invitation, for Joseph's sake, to an Israel near the end of hope, to ten brothers burdened with guilt, can hardly fail to remind the Christian of the divine, come and I will give. Couched in such terms of welcome and challenge. But historically this is a turning point of a different kind. Long foretold. Back in chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, God foretold of this very event. The beginning of a phase of isolation where the family, though they're foreigners and they're alien, they're going to multiply and they're not going to lose their identity. All part of the the promise of God. Eventual bondage, deliverance that God's going to bring them out that would produce a people forever after who would know itself as the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And let us lift up our voice as being called by God. What a message we have. Let's close with this thought to wrap it all together. The message of a changed life. The message of transformation. A message of a blessed eternity. A message of love. A message of hope. A message of blessing. A message that everyone needs to hear. Amen? A message that every redeemed soul can tell. A message of compassion. Revelation of forgiveness from the Lord. A message that we are committed to carry. A commission that's given to us. And a message that perhaps just might lead someone else to a confession like Jacob. To agree with God that His Word is true. And that yes, there is hope for life. Our message is simple, John 3.16. Our message is powerful, Romans 1.16 and 17. Our message is clear, Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, from darkness to light. Our message is life-changing, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our message must be told. Woe unto me, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, if I preach not the gospel. So let's take this message of hope and life to a lost and dying world.